Amen. Thank you, Wall. Good song. Good job. Good thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. We recently uh, started a little mini-series on a practical doctrine that is often poorly understood in our culture. Uh, our culture pretty much usually fails to understand where rightful authority comes from. It fails to understand how leaders should use rightful authority and how those who follow should respond to rightful authority. And certainly failing to understand these things has hastened the deterioration in our culture. And while I do believe uh, some believers understand those things and how rightful authority applies to leaders and followers, I think we are all greatly influenced by our culture and we are always battling our flesh uh, when it comes to the issue of authority because our flesh hates authority when it's not our own authority. As I've said several times, I'm not teaching this because I'm aware of any problem here, though I will say this, I'm usually the last one to find out about some kind of problem, but I'm not aware of any. I'm teaching this because I want our church and I want our homes to be more like Christ designed them to be, uh, because they will be better when we do things uh, our Creator's way. Authority, of course, is the power to command, enforce laws, exact obedience, to judge a person or situation as being right or wrong. And two weeks ago, when I spoke last prior to our revival, we talked about things that all followers can do to make the job of their leader a joy rather than a grief. And as I said then, I'd be ashamed of myself if I was proud of making the job of those who led me a, a grief instead of a joy. We talked about learning our leader's weaknesses and flaws and seeking to cover and compensate for them. We talked about making it our goal to not publicly criticize or privately over-criticize them. We talked about making suggestions and expressing our input and any strong negative views we have privately and then be willing to have our input modified or unheeded. We talked about dealing carefully with our differences uh, with those who lead us because differences are inevitable. And you may disagree with this, but I believe God oftentimes purposely allows differences to occur because it is only when differences occur that we are actually exposed to what's really in our heart. As long as we agree with what our leader is doing, the way we're following isn't even exposed yet. And we close just talking about something that's very simple but very hard to do. Uh, we need to let those who lead us lead. I mean, God is a perfect leader, but there's a lot of people that don't follow his leadership because they don't let God lead. And we exhorted one another to do that. And uh, this series I'm not teaching because I think it's the most interesting stuff in the Bible. I'm teaching it because I believe it's a great practical help to us as believers in Christ and to the Lord's church here. And tonight I want to again speak about leader-follower relationships. And in particular, tonight I want to talk about how a leader should use rightful authority uh, toward those who follow them. Uh, by the way, it only makes sense if we talked about how followers should follow, <laughs> if we should talk about how leaders should lead. And though in every place I'm aware of in the Bible where God speaks about both leaders and followers, He always instructs the followers first. He also always has instruction for the leader. Both followers and leaders have instruction from our Creator to have healthy leader-follower relationships. And so if you're able to stand tonight, if you would stand in honor of, of 
God's Word. This is just our fifth lesson in God's authority in our life. Matthew 23, verse 11 says this, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Thank you. You might be seated. If you have read through the Gospels, one of the things you may have noticed is that on several occasions, uh, Jesus' followers, his disciples, were debating among themselves who among them would be the greatest. In fact, on Jesus' last night, they were debating who among them would be the greatest. And we recently talked about how James and John even put their mother up to coming to Jesus to ask if her sons could sit at his right hand and left hand during his coming kingdom. And as I mentioned the last time when we went through that, uh, Jesus used that as a teaching opportunity. And he said to them uh, in Matthew 20, 27, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And all of those who are who have rightful authority from God, all of them are supposed to be servant leaders. Those with rightful authority should use our position, our strength, and our authority to serve others. We are there to do what we do in their best interest rather than our own. Now, in this particular case, in Matthew 23, Jesus is having a big conflict with the Jewish leaders. And in this conflict with the Jewish leaders, he repeats the same message about greatness in God's eyes. Notice that in verse 11, serving is not a path to greatness, so others will one day serve us. Serving is part of greatness. Verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Again, our culture and our flesh say, hey, serve so that one day you can be served. Serve so that one day you can be great. Jesus taught differently. He taught that part of greatness is being a servant. And then he, again, teaches the opposite of our flesh and the opposite of our culture in verse 12 when he says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And our culture and our flesh says, Be sure you exalt yourself or you might not get exalted. Uh, God says, Listen, You decide and you humble yourself and any exaltation that you actually need, I'll make sure you get it when you can actually take it. This is the opposite of our flesh. It is the opposite of our culture. And we learn here that great leadership is not about giving orders. It's about serving others. It's not how many people we boss around that matters. The leaders provide leadership. Leadership is about how many people we help, how many people we lift, how many people whose life is bettered because of our strength, because of our talents, and because of any authority we've been given by God or man. Uh, It is very important that we remember this simple thing. Those who look up to us are not stepping stones or tools to get us to the next level. People are not the means to our higher end. Us helping and building people as their leader is the higher end. I know this is not what our culture teaches. This is not what our flesh says. This is what our Savior has taught us, and this is how God looks at leadership and those to whom he has gifted and to whom he has delegated some of his authority. 
Godly leadership is not about the leader. It is about others. The goal of leadership is to minister and serve those we lead. And if we're ever going to do that, we must choose to humble ourselves to do so instead of exalting ourselves like our flesh desires. Listen, if you're married and you're a a, a husband, listen to me, the purpose of every husband should be to lift and serve your wife in life. And when you do that, you you actually lift yourself when you lift your wife. But if you exalt yourself and push your wife downward, in the end, you will end up abased rather than exalted. The main purpose for every parent should be to serve and lift your children in life. God did not give anybody children to relive their social faux pas or relive their athletic careers, although most of our athletic careers and social life could stand to be relived. But that is not why he gave us children. He gave us children so that we could recognize their gifts and their calling from God and that you and I could humbly help them achieve what God designed them to do, to lift and help them. The purpose of every ministry leader, the purpose of every pastor is to serve and lift those who look to you. Listen, if you're a Sunday school teacher here, your purpose is to lift and serve those who come and listen to you each week. Regardless of whether you teach four and five-year-olds or whether you work on the bus or whether you teach or work with adults in anything you do for the Lord Jesus Christ in a leadership capacity where we have some sort of delegated authority from God, it is given to us to lift and help and strengthen and serve other people. I hope tonight you're looking at your leadership in this manner. I hope tonight you're looking when you begin to think about what is great, I hope that you look at greatness in the same way that Christ taught us to look at greatness. This is the purpose of Christian leadership. The purpose of leadership is to serve those over whom of serve those over whom God has given us some of his authority to meet their real needs. Notice I did not say meet their perceived needs. I said meet their real needs. You see, when followers seek to meet the needs of the leader, in the end, the needs of those followers get met. And when leaders seek to meet the needs of those who look to them, then the needs of the leaders get met. But anyone who seeks to meet their own needs first, in the end, they always end up learning their needs remained unfulfilled. And we think, of course, of the ultimate example of what it means to be a godly leader. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. He spent his entire life to give and spend his life to lift and save others. He was King of kings and Lord of lords, but he chose to minister to others rather than to be ministered unto. He had and deserved the worship of angels, but he humbled himself to become a man upon the earth. He was a creator and giver of life, but he chose to die and give his life so that we might live forever. He was perfect, sinless, and spotless, but he chose to walk among sinful men in an attempt to reach man. Can you not see God himself stooped down to wash the feet of those who would shortly abandon him? So why did he do that? That's what they needed at that moment. Can you not see the perfect, sinless one forgiving soldiers as they drove the nails in his hands and feet? You say, why did he do that? The soldiers most needed forgiveness. 
Can you not see the hungry, weary Savior at the end of a long day of ministry with all those hundreds and thousands of hungry people, and instead of feeding himself, he fed 5,000. Say, so why did he do that? It's what they needed. Christ did not do that which was best and easiest for himself. His pressing motive in life and in everything he was was to meet the genuine needs of other people. Now, he did not seek to meet their perceived needs. They thought their biggest need was money. They thought their biggest need was health. They thought their biggest need was fame. They thought their biggest need was to be free from Roman oppression. He, on the other hand, saw their real greatest need instead of their perceived need, and their real need was to have a Savior to love them and to die for them so that they could be forgiven and have a purpose in life. We sang about it tonight in that new song. There's no greater purpose in life than to know Christ as Savior and do whatever it is He has called you and gifted you to do. We think about Christ's attitude, and we contrast that with what sometimes could be called arrogance on our part, selfishness, self-centeredness, demanding. It's not right. The goal of serving applies to pastors, ministry leaders, parents, bosses, coaches, and anyone with a position of any sort. The goal of rightful authority is to serve and lift others and better them, and that applies to anyone who would be a great leader in God's sight. The goal of serving applies to unofficial leaders, people who without position or without title, by virtue of their gifts, by virtue of their age, by virtue of their knowledge and what, what, whatever it is, people look to you for leadership. They look to you for influence. And the reason God gave you that was to help and lift others. But all this brings up a very practical question. How do I lead like this and serve those around me? What qualities should I embrace and build in my life to be this kind of a leader? But by the way, people read leadership books and they're by and large about what to do. Uh, understand the greatest quality of a leader is not what you do, it's who you are. If you are who you're supposed to be, you'll do what you're supposed to do. Books always focus on do this, do this, do this, do this. The scriptures are focused on be this, be this, be this, be this, and we'll do what we're supposed to do. How do I lead like this? What qualities should I embrace? I'd hate to think that the only reason my wife follows me is because she's supposed to. Now, that's a good enough reason, but I'd hate for that to be the only reason. I'd hate to think the only reason our children obeyed me when they were still in the home was they were supposed to. Now listen, that's enough of a reason for a child to obey a parent, but I think if that's your mindset, you have the wrong mindset. I'd hate to think the only reason that people have followed my leadership in ministry over the years is because they were supposed to. Now, now listen, that's enough of a reason. Obeying spiritual leaders, as long as they're not disobedient to the Bible, that's in the Bible. But understand, that is the lowest possible denominator. That's not what I want. And by the way, you wouldn't be back on a Sunday night if it was what you wanted. And so we get to this basic question, what kind of qualities should I seek to build 
and embrace in my life so I can be a faithful servant leader. Go first, please, in your Bible to John 10. John 10. Like I say, I, I, I realize this particular section on uh, authority and following and leading, it's not the most interesting subject in the Bible, but I wish we could let it be in our heart how practically important this is in all of our relationships in life. I am headed up to here with Christian people who are doctrinally sound, whose relationships are all junk. We should be doctrinally sound. But listen, a lot in the Bible has to do with how we get along with other people too. How can I be a faithful servant leader? Here's the first quality. Number one, you must decide to care about the people, the sheep who look to you for leadership. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Uh, by the way, it isn't the subject tonight, but Jesus did not just come so we could have eternal life. But if you're not saved, if you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you could have eternal life. Uh, by the way, this morning, I thank God we had a young man who trusted Christ in the parking lot. His wife responded to the invitation, and turns out she was saved, but her husband was not. Got to lead him to the Lord. What a wonderful thing. But it isn't just that Jesus came to give us everlasting life. He came to give us abundant life. That is how we live here and now. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd. Notice there's two kinds of leader. You can be a hireling and you can be a shepherd. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he's an hireling and because he doesn't care. He careth not for the sheep. Now it may seem very obvious to you when we begin to think about qualities to embrace as a servant leader that we begin talking about the fact that you need to care for the sheep, you need to care for those who look to you, but the fact of the matter is is that there are a lot of leaders who don't really care. And I'm not just talking about in the workplace. I'm talking about in churches. We need to be shepherds instead of hirelings. Shepherds to those who look to us for leadership. Shepherds care about sheep. The story told about a wealthy lady who was interviewing a prospective servant for her home, and she asked the lady, uh, can you serve company? Well, the lady says, well, yes, ma'am, I can serve them both ways. And the wealthy lady, she didn't know what she was talking about. So she said, what do you mean, serve them both ways? She just smiled and said, I can serve them so they feel welcome and come again, or I can serve them in a way that causes them to stay away. Hey, listen, we are supposed to serve those who follow our leadership because we care about them. Now, some people are going to look to us because of our position or title, and others are going to look to us because of influence God has given us in their life. But either way, we, are, we need to choose to love and care about those who look to us. It's very easy for leaders to demand that others love and care about them. 
That's really, quite frankly, the opposite of the way it is. You and I, if you have leadership of any sort, we are first and foremost supposed to care about those who look to us. Hey, listen, if you're saved, you can care. If you're saved, the God who is infinite love lives in you. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you and His fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It is His love He will produce in you if you yield to Him. You can care for those who look to you. The Bible says, uh, because iniquity of shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, and that's our culture. Because iniquity abounds, the hearts of Christians easily get harder and harder and harder, and you and I need to watch it. Not watch more news so your heart gets harder. Watch our heart so that our heart remains soft. Let me ask you a question. If you have a leadership role of any sort, do you ever pray for God to put His love in your heart for those who look to you? You ever pray, God, help me love you fill in the blank? Are you sadly content to just be incontentious with them? See, those who look up to us ought to have the unmistakable idea that we're looking out for them and that we love them. Hey, listen, a hundred times I've looked out at you and said, I love you. And I mean it. Those words would be empty if you never seen anything from it. Do those who look to you know that you'll be there when they're doing well and when they're doing badly? Do those who look to you know you'll be there if they do what you say and if you don't do what they say? I'm reminded of the prodigal son who knew that he could go home to his father even after his terrible selfish departure. I'm reminded of the prodigal son who knew that his father would make a place for him somewhere if he repented and confessed. He knew he was never coming back to the place he once could have been in. He did not expect to go back where he was before, but he did know his father had a place for him. Do those who look to you know you care? Do they hear it from your lips? Can they see it in your choices? And I just remind everyone here, that you caring for them has nothing to do with whether they care for you. It has everything to do with whether we're yielded to the God who lives inside us, who is love, the Spirit of God inside us, who first produces the love of God in our hearts. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you truly care for, for them, it won't matter to you that much whether they respond to you or not. Hey, listen, we all want love reciprocated. But when you love with God's love, if they love you in return, it doesn't matter that much. Hey, listen, God's love hasn't changed because people don't love Him. Do you deeply care about those who look to you? See, caring for the sheep is part of how those with rightful authority from God should use it. But it's not just... That part of being a faithful servant leader involves caring for those who look to us. Next, go up a few chapters to John chapter 16.
How can I be a faithful servant leader? What quality should I seek and embrace to be this kind of leader? Here's number two. You must decide you're going to make your decisions based on the best interest of others. You must decide to make your decision based on the best interest of others. Kind of an interesting thing Jesus says here in John 16, verse 6, in his last night after telling his disciples, his apostles, he was going away. John 16, 6, he says, but because I have said these things unto you, I've, he told him he's going away, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comfort will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Did you notice they were saddened to learn he was leaving? But because it was expedient for them, even though it saddened them for him to leave and they did not understand it, he still did it. Because it was in their best interest. The ministry of the Holy Spirit changing from being with them while Christ was with them to being in them when he returned to the right hand of the Father was expedient for them. It was better for them. And it was better for them to be sad and him go away than for him to stay like they wanted him to do. You know, it's easy to always do what those who look to us want. They're angry. They're sad. They don't understand. If you're going to be a faithful servant leader, you must do what you do in the best interest of other people. Godly leadership is not about what we can get from those who follow us, but it is rather about what we can do for them. There's a story told about an applicant who was a recent college graduate. He was being interviewed by human resources, and the HR person asked this young graduate what kind of salary he wanted. He said, well, I'd like to make about $140,000, depending on the benefits package. Well, the HR person smiled and said, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, free medical and dental coverage, the company matching retirement funds you set aside to 50% of the first 8% of your salary, a company car leased every two years, and let's say that, that car will be a red Corvette. Applicant says, wow, are you kidding? HR person says, yeah, but you started it. See, see we, we do so many things we do, always in our own interest. And I'm not implying we shouldn't take care of our family or, or our future when we interview for jobs. What, what I'm saying that for, for this is we need to do what we do in the interest of those who look to us when we make our decisions. See, godly leadership, leadership seeks to do what we can do in the best interest of those who follow us rather than about what we can give or take. Have you ever really thought about this? Why, why is there corporate fraud? Ah, because leaders in companies want to take what they can from those who look to them instead of doing the best they can to secure those who look to them? Have you ever thought about why there's so many problems in ministry? Ministry leaders and pastors using their positions as stepping stones. Very often, and you know, again, for those of you who have just been at Bible Baptist Church for, you know, however long you've been affiliated with the biblical church, you don't know what goes on out there. 
you, you, you just don't understand. All over the place, people uh, take what are called smaller churches uh, to get a medium-sized church and take medium-sized churches to get a, a, a bigger church. And, and, and the people and ministry literally is just a stepping stone for them. It's wrong. You ever thought about some of the problems in our marriages? Husbands seeking what they can get from their wife and what they can do with the extra money. Instead of using your authority and leadership in a way that benefits your wife and family. Have you ever thought about the problems in our homes when parents handle and discipline their children in a way that's best for their image? And easiest for them instead of what's best for your children? Let, let me ask you, if you're a parent here, do you pick their bedtime on their best interest or yours? I know parents all the time. You let your kids stay up to 11, 12 o'clock because you don't want to get up in the morning. You didn't pick that in their best interest. You picked that in your best interest. If you're a parent, how'd you pick the amount of screen time you give them? You picking that screen time in your best interest or theirs? You really think it's helping them physically and intellectually to watch SpongeBob six hours a day? Hey, listen, get, get on Cartoon Network, I, I challenge you, and just put something on and count how often they change the scene. You can count 1,001, 1,002, 1,003 scene change. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003 scene change. You, you wonder why kids have no attention span? You wonder why your kid has no attention span? And, and you're not doing what you're doing in the best interest of your children. You're doing what is in the best interest of yourself. Listen, God did not delegate authority to anyone. And listen, I'm not picking on parents. Plenty of things I've said are about the pastorate. God did not delegate his authority to anyone for self-serving purposes. We have rightful authority to fulfill God's purposes. And listen, if you're a leader, one of the most important things you do for those who look to you is to give them security. Every follower wants security. You say, how do I give those who look to me security? You give them security by being faithful, <laughs> dependable. We talked about that this morning. It's required in the stewards that a man be found faithful. L listen, among the reasons we should be faithful to Christ and faithful to the church and faithful to our ministry and, and faithful to our spouse and faithful to what's right, listen, it causes those who look to us to feel secure. Not everyone is talented or beautiful, obviously. Hey, listen, I have a mirror. I mean, time's not kind to everyone. I used to be somewhat attractive and have hair. Sharon had bad taste in men, what can I say? But listen, not, not everybody's beautiful or talented, but everyone can be faithful and dependable. Uh, if you want to build security in those who look to you, you need to be consistent. Bob says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the reasons that we feel secure as a Christian is we know Jesus isn't going to change his mind tomorrow. He, he didn't get up in the morning and he wasn't in a bad mood to add his cup of coffee. 
At the end of a hard day, it wasn't like, oh, man, I'm not going to go talk to him. He's going to bark at me. You you, want to help those who look to you feel secure? Be consistent. I, I believe that no matter when you went to Jesus, you got exactly what you would expect. If you went to him and were justifying your sin, I believe you got rebuked. I believe if you went to him under any circumstances at any time of day and wanted mercy, I believe he he gave you mercy. He was consistent. He made everybody feel secure. Listen, everybody can't be attractive, but everybody can be consistent. To what builds security in those who look to to leaders? A diligence. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Listen, hard work is a part of the success story uh, in Christ or life for anyone. Somebody said the secrets of success will not work until you do. I believe few things cause followers to lose confidence in their leader more quickly than when they learn you're lazy. And anybody who's built a measure of diligence in their character, the last kind of leader you want to follow is a lazy leader. Not everybody can be rich and famous, but everybody can be diligent. And if you and I uh, build these qualities in our life, this consistency, this diligence, this faithfulness, understand what we do when we do that, though it is not easy for us, though it hurts us at times, though it's inconvenient for us very often, though we have to put aside our own will, it is what gives those around us security. It's a great thing we do to act in their best interest. I think most husbands would be amazed at how your wife would respond if she knew that you were doing what you were doing in her best interest and the interest of your family. I think very often wives know their husbands are looking out for their own good. Uh, Most parents, I think, would be amazed at how your older children would respond if they really felt you were doing what you were doing in their life for their own good. I think most pastors and ministry leaders would be amazed at how their members would respond if their members really felt like their leader was leading in their best interest. Um, Again, we're poking at all kinds of people. You know, one of the things that grieves me in churches is youth pastors that go somewhere uses a stepping stone. You, you don't re- Again, if you've just been here, you don't realize how good you have it. I mean, Brother Joe was our youth leader for 10 years, and Brother Josh now five or six years, somewhere in, in that neighborhood. L- listen, it's very common for teenagers to get a new youth pastor every year and a half or two years or two and a half years because that person's just using that as a stepping stone, and those kids are just a bunch of pawns. And, and you wonder why churches are such a mess. And I'm not implying that people don't uh, start out in a certain position and and then move on to something else. I'm not implying that. What I am not implying, I'm clearly saying that when you are using the people around you as a stepping stone, that is the opposite of why God gives anyone rightful authority.
But it's not just. I'm just looking at my time and what I have left. I got a lot left. You say, well, good. I'm glad your time's almost out. I don't always stop on time. It's not just that those who lead with rightful authority are supposed to do what they do in the best interest of those who look to them. Lastly, go in your Bible to Matthew 16. I said, Brother Wally, why are you sarcastic like that? I just am. And I, I, I honestly, I don't know that I try to make it better. I, I try to not use my sarcasm in a way that's hurtful. Uh, I've never successfully used my sarcasm in a way that it's not misunderstood or not taken wrongly by people. Uh, just be gracious with me. I need it. Sooner or later, you'll need some graciousness from me. I'll try to give it. How can I be a faithful servant leader? Lastly, number three, you must stand strong when those who follow you disagree. (laughs) See, See, our culture thinks leadership is about doing what the followers want. Uh, listen, you hear that all, all the time. Hey, we sent them to Washington to do what we want. Who's we? Uh, you realize we is bigger than you. We send leaders to Washington to, do the, to follow the values that we sent them for. You must stand strong against those who follow you when they disagree at times. Notice... Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised again the third day. It's not our message tonight, but you ought to draw a little line in your Bible above verse 21 because what this is is actually a significant moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus talks about the new direction his ministry is going to go, by the way, this was going to happen all along. This had nothing to do with the Jews rejecting him. It was always the plan of God for him to suffer and die. Verse 22, uh, Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, uh, this shall not be unto thee. Jesus turned and said, Well, Peter, if you don't want me to do that, I'll do that. I'll do what you want. That's not what it says, is it? But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me. Remember, when pronouns start with T, thee, thou, and thine, they're personal, singular. When pronouns start with Y, you, you, and yours, they're plural. This is a personal message to Peter in public. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Um, first and foremost, as a leader with delegated authority, you're supposed to do and say what God wants, not what your followers want. Jesus' disciples didn't tell him what to do. He served them in their best interest. Uh, Paul didn't have the churches tell him what to do. He did what he did. He served them in their best interest. In our text, Peter didn't like what Jesus was doing. And Peter boldly rebuked Peter, uh, Jesus for the change in his ministry, and Jesus took a strong stand against somebody he loved. 
You see, even though Peter was an adult, even though Peter was spiritually minded, he did not know what was really in his best interest. Good leaders listen to input from their followers, but they do what they believe God wants them to do in the best interest of those who follow. Now, I think we get this when it comes to children. We get that their perceived needs and their real needs are not the same. I mean, children think they need candy, unlimited video games, and late bedtimes when they actually need to eat healthy, exercise, and go to bed at a reasonable hour. And so leaders that love them stand against them firmly and their perceived needs. But far fewer of us really grasp the fact that as adults, and Peter was an adult here, what he perceived his need was, was not what his real need was. If you're going to lead anybody at all, there are going to be times, and God's going to let them happen, when you need to do what is in their best interest, whether they understand it or not. There are times when parents are supposed to make their children do things children don't understand. Times when bosses are supposed to make their employees do things employees do not understand. Times pastors and ministry leaders are supposed to do things those who follow them do not understand, not contrary to the Bible, of course. There are times when husbands are supposed to lead their homes to do things their wife doesn't understand. And though I really personally believe that by and large in good homes with responsible parents and in churches with responsible leaders, I do think by and large people are good with that. But you know what I think is far too uncommon? For wives to accept this kind of leadership from her husband. I'm going to just let that sit a minute. Some wives have made their husbands sheepish through constant criticism. And quite frankly, he's afraid to provide leadership. Other wives have made their husband too afraid to leave because they know their wife will emotionally and physically punish them. And I'm talking to some wives here who do that. And I'm talking to some husbands here, you've lost your good courage because you're afraid of that. And all I'm saying to you is if God has given you rightful authority, you have a responsibility to lead in a way that pleases God and do what's in the best people, interest of people who look to you. Say, so what if my kids and my wife don't follow? You can't control that. You do your job, and God will take care of everything else. You know, if you in some area of your life have a leader like we've talked about, you ought to thank God for him. You, you really ought to. But we, we have some great parents here. We have some great husbands here. We have some great ministry leaders here. You ought to thank God for them. Maybe in some areas of your life when you consider rightful authority, you're not using rightful authority the way we talked about tonight. And maybe you need to change directions. Let me ask you, do you care about the sheep God has placed under your care? 
You make your decisions on the best interest of those who look to you or your own interests. You take your stand for what's good and right and best. Or you lost your courage, your conviction. By the way, by and large, these stands are not going to be taken against the far left out there somewhere in California. They're going to be in our family, our home, among our friends. I'm just calling you to do what we're supposed to do with rightful authority. If you'd quietly stand.